Thank you, team. Story goes that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, once had a dream. That dream really ignited his passion for proclaiming the gospel, regardless of the cost, and he paid a heavy cost. He got stoned in parks. He got hit. He got persecuted by the established church. By the way, he was defrocked from the Anglican Episcopal Church also. He's in good company. In the dream, John Wesley went to the gate of hell, and he asked the gatekeeper, do you have any Catholics here? He said, yes, many. Do you have Anglican Episcopalians here? He said, oh, many. Do you have Presbyterians here? He said, oh, yeah, many. Do you have Anabaptists here? Many. Then he swallowed hard and and asked the question he did not want to ask, but then he asked it. He said, do you have any Methodists here? He said, yes, many. And so the story goes that John Wesley literally woke up and his pillow was stained with tears. Then he went back to sleep. And as the dream almost continued, and he went to the very portals of heaven, and he asked the angel, do you have any Catholics here? He said, not a one. Do you have any Anglican Episcopalians here? Not a one. Do you have any Presbyterians? Not a one. Do you have Anabaptists here? He said, not a one. And out of sense of exasperation, he can swallowed hard, and he asked the question he did not want to ask, do you have any Methodists here? And he said, not a one. Well, who do you have here? And the angel said, only those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. Beloved, labels have never saved anyone. Labels have never taken anyone to heaven. And our passage for today in Luke 13, beginning at verse 23, some unknown person asks Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Listen carefully to the question. It's a profound one. And in verse 24 of Luke 13, Jesus does not really answer the question, but He tells the man the very essence of the Christian faith. Listen to me. This is very important. This is the very heart. This is the very core of what the Christian faith is all about. It is important, particularly today, when we have so many people who claim to be Christians, so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They could be living in open sin and open rebellion against God and against His Word, but then nonetheless they call themselves Christians. That is why this passage is of vital importance. Even Oprah Winfrey, one time she was interviewing one of those charlatans who's supposed to have died and went to 
saw Jesus, and, and Jesus told her not to worry. Everybody's going to come to heaven. And Oprah responded, that is the cool Jesus that I like to think of, the cool Jesus. And she and her elks, like that cool Jesus, not the real Jesus whom they hate. Who goes to heaven? They want to think that everyone, when they die, they go to heaven, all with their sin, with their rebellion against the holy God. They're all just going to go in with all their baggage. Well, the answer to the question is the true essence of the Christian faith, and it's found in our passage for today, Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. By the way, this is the last. We've been going through that chapter for quite a while now, and of those of you who are visiting, the, the Bible passage is found in, on page 1621. And if you are visiting, we are dab smack in the middle of a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke entitled, Enduring Wisdom from the Lips of Jesus. There are so many people who think they're wise and tell you stuff. I'd rather go to the source of wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we've been going through this, and if you have not heard the rest of the story before and after, you can download it free on apostles.org. And so, I'm going to ask you to stand. We've been doing this throughout this series of messages where I will read the first verse, and then we will, I'll let you read the rest of it so that it may seep into your heart and mind and psyche. Now, I'm just going to tell you one thing, and I'm going to repeat that. This is the last days in the life of our Lord. He was making His journey from Judea way up in the north down to Jerusalem. That's a long distance. It takes an hour and a half by car. But our Lord walked it day after day through the villages, through the towns. He knew this is the last moment for people to hear Him calling them and inviting them to come and repent and believe in Him. And so as He continues in that journey, someone asked Him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Go.
Father. Your son Jesus spoke those words. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our spiritual eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we may comprehend the urgency of the hour. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question that this man asked Jesus has been asked by millions of people in a million different ways. The way this man asked the question, will those who be saved are few? It's very intriguing, <laughs> intriguing way of asking the question. It's, it, it's amazing to me. I reflected on it quite a bit of time this week. And Jesus does not give him percentages. He does not give him numbers. Uh, he does not say... Uh, small or many. But Jesus, in effect, left us all without a doubt that those who are going to enter heaven will be those who are willing to surrender their sin to Jesus, that those who are willing to surrender their pride and their desire for self-salvation, only those who surrender their self-righteousness, only those who surrender their self-will only those whose vehicle that will take them to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 9, the apostle tells us, Since therefore we are justified by His blood. By who? We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Just like Wesley's dream the only people who are going to make it to heaven are those who have repented of their sins, who have grieved over their sins, have surrendered their sins, and been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question this unknown man asked here in verse 23 is a genuine question, is a real question. Don't dismiss it. It's a real, real, genuine question on the part of this person. Why? Because, you see, the Jews in the time of Jesus… This, those who are listening, those who were there, expected that when the Messiah come, He will save their nation, and that's it. That's it. Nobody else. It's like the kid who prayed. He said, bless me, my brother, my mother, and my father, ask for no more. That's it. Remember, as I told you, Jesus was traveling from Judea, from, from Galilee region, where he's from, the Nazareth. And he was traveling all the way to Jerusalem in order to face the cross. He was on his way to die on that cross, to be crucified and shed his blood for the sins of every repentant sinner. And so Jesus' answer was, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate, because many will tell you, that they will try, they will try, underline it in your Bible, please, they will try, they will try. Yes, Jesus said they will try. As I said earlier, there are so many people who call themselves followers of Jesus, so many people who think that they're going to go to heaven with all of their baggage, and they will give you a variety of reasons as why they think they're going to heaven. If you ask them, 
They say, because I go to Mass every Sunday, or I take communion every Sunday, or because they keep their church rituals on a ceremony, or because God just is a good, cool Jesus who's going to let everybody in, or I like the Jesus who's a cool guy. No, 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 beloved, listen to me. Jesus' original hearers who were listening to Him, they thought that by virtue of their birth, by virtue of their ethnicity, by virtue of the fact that they are physically the descendant of Abraham, that they are a shoe-in into heaven, and Jesus disabuses them of this. Hear me right, please. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. Never, 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 never. Far from it. In fact, He's saying the very act of humble repentance before God, the very act of self-denial is a clear indication of salvation. I believe very few people can say with John the, the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. Nothing in me, nothing in me, all of him, or like the song says, nothing in my hand I bring, or like the other song that says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What about you? What about you? What about the person who says, well, I've done some good things. Oh, that belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who says, uh, I, 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 I hope that my good is going to outweigh my bad. Oh, no, no, no. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who says, but I went to church every time the doors are open. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person that I have done lots of, of, of charitable work. That belongs to the wide gate. What about the person who said, I follow Pastor Smellfungus, and he said that it's okay to do this and that on the other thing. No, no, no. With him, you belong to the wide gate. The word strive here, listen, I, 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 am, I, I literally, I can, I can have a revival over one word. <laughs> strive is the Greek word ag which from which we get the word agonize. And beloved, listen to me. If you do not experience agony of soul that leads to repentance— if you do not take up your cross on a daily basis and follow Jesus, if you do not know what it means to daily die to self, if you do not know what self-sacrifice is, you could be heading for the wide gate, not the narrow one. If you have embraced Christianity because somebody told you that this is the way to prosper in this life, or because this is the way you get some cheap salvation, or because this is the way you can de develop self-esteem, <laughs> then it is time to cry to the Lord, show me your way. Look at verses 24 and 25. It is a picture of those who will be protesting on this final day of judgment for those who will not make it to heaven. But we participated at communion. We participated in Mass. But we went church at Christmas and Easter. 
But we believed in the Jesus good man. But we believe that Jesus is a great prophet. But we believe that Jesus is a wonderful teacher. We like Jesus' teaching. We try to live by the golden rules. Will not work. That will not work. That will not work. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked yourself the question whether you are a truly authentic believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just believe in Jesus, but believe Jesus and take Him at His word. Beloved, listen to me. In verse 28 all the way to 30, there are some on the most powerful verses in all of the Gospels, because in these verses, Jesus reveals a very surprise explanation and a very vivid description of hell. I know some of you probably are asking right now, what is this thing about Abraham, Isaac, and people from the East and the West? Listen to me very carefully. In the Old Testament, people were saved by looking forward. 2,000 years, they're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes, dies on a cross, and rises again. Every one of the prophets have predicted Him. In fact, that is why Jesus said, Abraham, remember this, 2,000 years before Jesus, Abraham, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. How did he see Jesus' day? By faith. And everyone from Abraham on that is saved in the Old Testament is saved by faith by looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and dying on that cross for their sin and rising again by faith. How are the New Testament people are saved after Christ by that same faith, the same faith? We look back by faith 2,000 years ago. By faith, we look back to the cross of Christ and the shedding of His blood for my sins and your sins, and then rising again with the power of His omnipotence. I have nothing. I can give nothing to be saved. Only the blood of Jesus shed for me. That is why Jesus said they're going to come from the north and the south. That's why the book of Revelation said they're going to be from every tribe and every nation, every tongue. They'll be from every corner of the globe. Jesus is the one who said it here. They're going to be coming from every corner of the globe, and they're going to be participating with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of God, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But those who are so close those who are physical descendants of Abraham and yet rejected Jesus, they will be in agony. In other words, he's saying that Jesus Christ's church is made up of believers from the Old and the New Testament who come to Christ by faith before and after the cross. Can I get an amen? Faith in Christ has always and always will be the only way to heaven. Now, I want you to use your imagination here just for a little bit. Just use your imagination with me for a minute. Now, these Pharisees, they kept all of the external 
trappings of the religion. They kept all the external ones. <laughs> they saw all the religious rituals, but they're heading for hell. While repentant prostitutes and robbers and criminals, when they repent of their sins, they'll be saved and end up in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. It's mind-boggling, let me tell you. It's mind-boggling. You mean to tell us that all of that religious hocus-pocus that we've been going through day in and day out will not save us? And Jesus would say, not a chance. All of the ritualistic keeping of the feast and the festivals and high and holy days will not save us. Not a chance. All of the effort to be good will not save us. Not a chance. All of our belief that everyone is going to make it to heaven because Jesus is a cool guy won't help you one bit. Here are the most agonizing words. I don't know you. I ran into a neighbor yesterday. I said, I'm going to Passover. She said, you know, the new, the new service now, the new thing we do now is modern. She said, well, the enemy tried to kill us. We defeated them. Let's eat. That's about right. That's about modern as you can get. I don't know you. Verse 28. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I wouldn't mind telling you, it's not just happening now that all week literally has been sending shivers down my spine. No, no, not because I'm not certain of my salvation. Not that I'm worried I'm ever going to be there. I know my Redeemer lives, and I'm saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But because I know people who have rejected Jesus Christ, and they're going to end up there. I know people who have rejected the gospel of salvation, and they will be there for all of eternity. That is why I have shivers down my spine. From, from focusing his hearers or, or an, on his hearers' self-fulfillment, self-actualization, ambitions, desire for health, wealth, and prosperity in this life, far from it, far from it, far from it. That's what preachers are preaching in pulpits today, but that's not the focus of Jesus. Jesus is calling them to have an eternal perspective. He's calling them to pay attention to hell. Beloved, those who are indulging themselves in the so-called sexual revolution, thinking that their sin and rebellion against the Word of God and against the, 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 the authoritative Word of God will not take them to judgment, will not bring them any judgment, they will be in that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
friend of mine from the church sent me a short video. It's going to be about a minute. I want to show it to you and give you an example of this modern, convoluted ideas, what everybody thinks Jesus is or God is, and they want to live with all their baggages and thinking they're going to make it to heaven. Let me show it to you just for one minute. Beloved, this is just not in the media. This is not just in the media. Dish to us every day after day. day. This is preached from pulpits today. Beloved, this falsehood is so prevalent. It's so prevalent. It makes me weep at times. And that is why I want to say to the faithful pastors who are watching around the world, so many of them are watching now, and all the faithful pastors and church leaders who are against all odds, uh, even against vehement opposition, we must love them enough to care about their eternity and, uh, and speak the truth, that we must not acquiesce to their misguidedness, that we must love them enough to proclaim Jesus is the only way. We must not worry about whom we're going to offend, but who we're going to warn. We must not buy into the deception of wanting to be liked so long as we go along with their falsehood. No, 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 and a million no. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Jesus made people either feel bad enough to repent or furious enough to reject. Amen. Amen. It's okay. Give him glory. You see, this is the cool Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. I, for one, I, for one, don't want to have blood on my hands. I can only speak for myself. I don't want to have blood on my hands because God made it very clear to Ezekiel. He said to him, he said, if you see the danger and you warn people and they do not heed the warning, then you are okay. You are justified. You are set free. You're not convicted. But listen, this is a big one. If you see the danger and you do not warn and people suffer, then you have blood on your hands. Look at verses 31 and 32. 
2.33 with me, please, is an exhibit A of the Pharisees' hypocrisy here. You know from the moment of His birth, Jesus has been targeted for killing. I mean, Satan wanted to kill Jesus as he was a baby. Remember Herod sent, killed all the babies in Bethlehem? I mean, from day one, from the day He was born. They wanted to kill Him. They wanted to kill the sinless, the only sinless, perfect, absolute, righteous, holy, compassionate, generous, and benevolent Jesus. In verse 31, the first glance when you read that and you think, oh, these Pharisees, these hypocrites, really are concerned about Jesus. I mean, they hated Jesus. They didn't want to kill Jesus, but they, you think they were concerned about Him, <laughs> that they were trying to be compassionate about Jesus, said, get out of here, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. <laughs> they, they think they care. They're caring about Jesus. <laughs> Herod wants to kill you. Go out of here. All they care about is saving their own skin. But Jesus was not going to be fooled by their pretending to be concerned for Him. He knew that He was going to Jerusalem. Remember, I told you, this is the third time I'm telling you this. This is on His way to Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He's on His way to Jerusalem for the purpose of dying. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But listen to me. But even the gentle lamb is suspicious of wolves when they pretend to be concerned for the lamb's safety. Think about it. What does our wise Lord say to that? <laughs> Let me give you a message that you can take to Herod. Go and tell that fox. Translation. Go and tell this conniving, worthless rat. That's a use of translation. <laughs> I will cast demons and I'll heal the sick on my own schedule. I will accomplish my goal on my own timetable. I will do the will of my Father until the time is up. I will do what I came from heaven to do until it's accomplished. I will go to Jerusalem on my own terms. I will go to the cross on my own terms. I will pay for the wages of every repentant sinner on my Father's watch. I will accomplish all things according to the counsel of my will. I will lay my life down for my sheep by the sovereign determination of the will of the Father. I fear no threats of those who think that they can stop me. I will not be intimidated by those who think they have power over me. I will not be silenced or pushed around by those who think that they are powerful. As it is, I'm heading for Jerusalem. <laughs> I know what awaits me there. I know what I'm going to accomplish there. I know it's in Jerusalem where the prophets have been persecuted and killed, and I am going there. <laughs> Beloved, make no, make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Herod did not kill Jesus. Pontius Pilate did not kill Jesus. Jo Jodas Iscariot with his betrayal did not kill Jesus. The Caiaphas, the high priest, did not kill Jesus. 
It was the Father's will that His Son die on that cross to redeem repentant sinners. Jesus is the one who took Himself to that cross. And He said in the book, Gospel of John, He said, I have authority to take it up. I have authority to lay it down, but I'm going to lay it down because that is the way I'm going to redeem and ransom my children. All these people from Herod to Pontius Pilate to Judas to, to the high priest, all, they will pay for their guilt and sin and guilt. They, they will pay for that. They'll, they'll be judged for that. But God, in His sovereign will, decided that Jesus will die on that cross to pay for the wages of my sin and the punishment of your sin and the sin of everyone who will repent and turn to Him. And then, on the third day, He will vindicate Him by raising Him up with every ounce of His omnipotence out of the grave. And, beloved, I've been to Israel many times. Every time I go and look, the tomb is empty. Our God is not only sovereign, is not a holy God, but don't ever forget the other side of the coin is that He's a compassionate God. He's a compassionate God. He's gracious God. Well, that's what overwhelms me more than anything else. If you ever see me get overwhelmed and emotional, it's because I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God, by His graciousness to me. And that should be the attitude of everyone who loves Jesus and understand what an incredible price He paid for us. Look at verses 34 and 35. I, I hope that when you go home that you read those words again and again and again and again. Don't, just, just read and feel the incredible passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His passion about those who have rejected His message, have rejected His salvation, who have rejected His truth, this is, of course, an agrarian image, agrarian image. And I grew up in a culture where I could see with my own eyes when the hen takes her brood under her wings, and it's a magnificent sight. And this is a constant biblical theme. It did not just happen here, but this is a constant biblical. For example, Ezekiel said that God takes no pleasure in the death of a sinner, but that rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live. You see, constantly. And that's why when Jesus cried, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and this double mention is always for emphasis, always like when, when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, the devil wants to sift you as wheat. Or when he said, Martha, Martha, when he double says the thing twice, the Hebrew language it is an expression of intensity. Oh, Jerusalem, despite of all your past sins and your persecuting and killing of the prophets, I still long for you to repent and turn to me. this deep longing on the heart of Jesus. He wanted them to repent from their false religion and come to, under His wings. 
In fact, that imagery of the wings of God is repeated in the Psalms a great deal, many times. In fact, let me give just examples. In Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 36, 7, how priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men, find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And in Psalm 61, 4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelters of your wings. This is just a few examples. I could go on. Can you put up with me a few more minutes? For just a few more minutes. I'm getting close to the end. I want you to listen carefully, beloved. Listen to me. It is only, only under His wings can you find refuge sustenance, warmth, and security. All other so-called securities, they are temporary and shallow at best. Later, after Jesus was ascended to heaven, His half-brother James was killed in Jerusalem. The first martyr in the the book of Acts chapter 8, Stephen, was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Oh, I pray to God that no one at the sound of my voice, no one at the sound of my voice would hear those words. Bob, Michael, James, Jane, Sue, how I long to cover you, and you would not. I pray to God. What an indictment. I have no doubt that the Lord is looking upon our nation right now, looks at Washington, D.C. as a representative of the nation, a city that represents the nation, the capital. And He said, how I long for you to come under my wings, but you would not. Your legislators are in disobedience to my word. Your Supreme Court has gone rogue against my word. Your leadership has abandoned me. Finally comes the grand finale of the prophecy. Behold, your house will be left desolate. Oh. When people set their wills to reject Him, listen to me, God finally respects their will. He will. Just as he accepted Jerusalem's rejection of him as their Messiah. This is the city where the temple of God was. Think about this. This represented the presence of God. Yes, that too will crumble. Too awesome to contemplate for those people. I think it's too awesome to contemplate even now. God will not overrule your free will. He will not overrule your free will. And I'm going to talk to the believer who's constantly overriding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Please, I plead with you, stop it. Stop it. 
because you know and I know that on 70 AD, 70 AD, that was just 36, six years, 37 years after Jesus uttered those words, Jerusalem was raised to the ground. And if you visit the Jerusalem, you, you will know what I'm talking about. Invariably, at times, I like to just wander off and walk by myself and stand there behind the temple. It's humongous stones. I don't know how even they, they lift them up back then without technology and, 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 and winches and things like that. Huge, all piled up, piled up for all to see. The prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled with meticulous precision. And beloved, the return of Christ and the judgment of God will be fulfilled, as it is says, with meticulous precision. For those who have rejected Jesus and created the Jesus in their own image, not the Jesus of the Bible, they will face consequences. I pray to God not one person who's watching around the world or here in this beautiful sanctuary could ever be among those. And that is why I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And if there's a single person listening to me, and it's not even certain of their eternal life, they've been overriding the voice of God again and again and again, this may be the last chance to hear and respond to the call and the invitation. This is eternity we're talking about. We're not talking about 70, 80, 90, 100 years. No. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or come forward, but I'm going to ask you between you and heaven in the secrecy of your heart because God watches as the old prayer back in the 1500s. It says, to you, all hearts are open. From you, no secrets are hid. And therefore, God can see. And so, in the presence of God, will you say, Lord Jesus, I invite you as my only Savior, as my only Redeemer, my only justification is your blood come into my life. The scripture said, when you do that, you can be absolutely sure. Jesus said, those whom the Father gives me, I'll lose none. You can be absolutely sure that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in your heart. Father, there are no ways we can truly express our gratitude to you. I certainly run out of ways in the past 56 years of expressing to you the depth of my gratitude for saving me, for redeeming me. Nothing good dwells in me except Jesus. I thank you for him. And thank you that the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus is our only justification. I pray for those who know you to be committed to making others know you and those who don't know you come to know you. We thank you for giving us 
one more opportunity to hear the message, because we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand up and sing with us.